You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church, Niagara. It is great to see you, great to hear you. You sound really good today. Just want to give you the heads up. Not that you don't normally sound good, just saying. Just today, you sound good. Uh, just want to give you the heads up that at the end of the service today, so I'm going to preach, and then uh, Pastor Alec and the team are going to come back and lead us into a closing song. But then after that song, we're going to have uh, just a little update from the elders. We call it a family chat, and one of the elders is going to join me up here and uh, uh, and just to share with you some things that are happening here just for your information, for praying, uh, and, and part of our efforts to sort of uh, better communicate and communicate with you together more frequently. So that's going to be right at the end of the service. So I'll preach, we'll sing, and then when we're done singing, you'll be ready to leave, but don't leave yet at the end of that song. We'll just take a seat, and we'll just take a few minutes just to share with you uh, some things that are, that are going on in, in our church. So today, my, uh, my sermon, my title, the title of my sermon is A Question, A Question That Demands an Answer. A Question That Demands an Answer. And here really is my question. It's going to go up on the screen here. And just, blah, there we go. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? You personally. Do you personally want to know Jesus? Like, know him. Not, uh, not, I'm not asking you if he's a, a topic you wish to study or a subject you wish to discuss, but I'm asking you today, do you want to know him personally, the Jesus who's revealed in Scripture? I ask this because I emphasize the real Jesus because it's important for us to understand that the one true reliable source that we have about Jesus in terms of who he is and what he said and what he did, the one reliable source we have about the true Jesus is the Bible. It's scripture. Knowing the real Jesus involves receiving and understanding and recognizing the Jesus that we're shown in scripture. You understand that, don't you? That apart from the Bible, apart from the word of God, we don't know lots about Jesus for sure. But we, the, the, what we know of him, what we can say is, is veritable and true and reliable. The, the Jesus that we know and all that we know about him comes to us from Scripture. Without Scripture, we don't know him. So if we're going to know the real Jesus, and if this is you, you say, yes, I want to know the, the real Jesus, I want to know him, then you understand, don't you, that that means that you need to know the Jesus of the Bible, and in knowing the Jesus of the Bible, you've got to know him as he's presented, not just the parts that you select about him that you, that you especially like. You must receive all of him. For many people, the, the Jesus that they think of is a Jesus that they, they imagine in their minds or that they've, they've sort of created in their minds based on a selection of maybe things that are true and maybe even some things that are not true. And so that the, the Jesus they envisioned in their mind, the Jesus they maybe even talk about, actually clashes with the Jesus in Scripture. He's, he's not recognizable. The two are, it's not the same Jesus. It's an imaginary Jesus not the real Jesus. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, and one interesting thing about him is he had a fascination with the teachings of Jesus. 
But despite his fascinations with the teachings of Jesus, he couldn't come to terms with the miraculous things that Jesus did, nor his divine claims. These, these clashed with, his, with his, his own way of thinking and, and seeing things. And his, as one author put it, his enlightened sensibilities. Just, just wouldn't receive a Jesus who did miracles and, and claimed to be divine. He found Jesus' moral teachings compelling, but his miracles off-putting. So what he did is late in his life, I kid you not, late in his life, he took six different copies of scripture, opened them to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, took a razor blade and cut out the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus that he liked that fit with him and cut them out and pasted them into a book that eventually he called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It's commonly known as the Jefferson Bible. It's a real thing. You can look it up. And it's, so he took, he took the parts of Jesus that agreed with him, that he liked, that fit his sensibilities, and put them in this, in this book. The other things that he thought were over the top or that offended his sensibilities or that were miraculous or claims of divinity... He, he left behind. One scholar quipped about the Jefferson Bible. He said, Jefferson's Jesus looks a lot more like Jefferson than Jesus. So you understand my question. Do you want to know Jesus? I'm asking if you want to know the real him as he is, who he reveals himself to be, not the Jesus of your imagination, or your invention, not an edited Jefferson Jesus, but the real Jesus of Scripture. You see, many people happily laud Jesus as a great teacher when he speaks of things like justice and loving your neighbor, and those are important things for us to understand and to hear. But they've no time for Jesus when he talks about loving your enemy, repentance, or sexual purity. Many are fine with a Jesus who blesses children, but brush aside or ignore the Jesus, this very un-Canadian Jesus, who insists that he is the truth, that he is the way to God. If that's not enough, what we'll encounter about Jesus today in our scripture text is for many just plain intolerable. It may be fine as a point of discussion, and we may, you, but to accept this reality about Jesus that we're going to see today, to accept it personally, to align myself under it, actually, for many people, this aspect of Jesus' character, it, it trips a lot of people up. I wonder if it trips you up too. Well, what is it about Jesus that we'll encounter today? It's this. It's the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. And if it trips you up, well, you're not alone, because we'll see in our text today, we're going to meet some people who it tripped them up too. They had no time or patience or room for a fully authoritative Christ, but that is who they encountered. And I'm trusting that's who we will encounter today too. I'd love for you to join me, will you please, in this passage of scripture. It's in the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 33. Mark chapter 11 
verses 27 to 33, and uh, we are back into our series today called Encountering Jesus, Encountering Jesus in the last week of his earthly life. And uh, we took a break a week ago, but we're in our series leading up to Easter, where we are really doing a study of this final week of the earthly life of Jesus, begin on Palm Sunday, and uh, we saw what happened on that day, on the first Palm Sunday, and then on the Monday of that week, that was our last message in this series. Now today, it's Tuesday of the final week of Jesus' earthly life. Now on Friday of this week that we're studying, he will be crucified. On Sunday, the first day of the following week, he will be raised from the dead. This is where we are. We're getting really, really close to the cross of Christ. And uh, here we are in our text, and Jesus is right back where he was the day before. Now, remember the day before this day? We're on Tuesday now, but on Monday, he went to the temple. Remember what he did when he got to the temple? He went and he cleared it all out. There was money changers in there. There was buying and selling of stuff. And in and of itself, the changing of money and the buying and selling of animals, in and of itself wasn't the issue. But the issue was that they had turned a place that was supposed to be for the worship of God and for the Gentiles, for the nations to come and to seek God. They turned it into this crazy, noisy, chaotic place of buying and selling. And it was not a place of worship. And I won't make you act it out again if you were here a couple weeks ago, but you remember, it was a pretty chaotic scene, and Jesus came in there, and, well, I mean, he made a scene, didn't he? He, he drove them out of there, he flipped over tables, and because he had a passion for the worship of God and for the nations to know God. So on Monday, he goes in, and he causes quite a scene in driving all these, these uh, people out of the temple. Now, Tuesday, he comes back to, like we say, the scene of the crime, and verse 27 tells us what happens next. And they came, they as Jesus and his followers, and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him. Now all God's people said, uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. Now the, the, you're wondering who these are, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. It's talking about... It's talking about these are these are three different. Uh, these men represent the Sanhedrin. Three different. The Sanhedrin was made up of chief priests, scribes, and elders. This is a delegation of the Sanhedrin. You say, what's the Sanhedrin? Well, this was the the governing body that that basically these religious leaders in Jesus' day. They basically governed all of Jewish life in Israel in Jesus' day, especially at the temple. As far as they were concerned. They were the ones in charge of the temple. But the day before, Jesus showed up and he showed that he had greater authority than them, right? I mean, he didn't stop by the, the main office on his way in and say, it's okay with you. I'm going to tidy up in here. It's way too noisy in here for anybody to be worshiping God. He didn't do that, did he? He just strode in like he owned the place, like he was in charge, and started to change things. Now, the Sanhedrin is just like, who does he think he is? We've got to do it because we look really small here and really weak because we approved all this and he's coming in and changing all our rules like he's in charge or something. So, so we, we, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. Well, what are we going to do? Well, they were plotting to kill him. But here in this moment, what they're about to do is they're going to try to trap him. And they're going to try to here in just a moment expose him. They're going to try to expose him 
for not actually having the authority that he seems to think that he has. <laughs> but spoiler alert, it's not going to go very well. Let's see what happens here. So they come to him, verse 28, and notice what happens. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So think about Jesus clearing the temple. Think about Jesus teaching in the temple, presuming himself to be the authoritative source. He says, they're, they're saying, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? Now, question for you, loved ones, question. What's the tone here? Is it, hey guys, bring your notebooks. It's something, we might learn something. Help us understand. By, by what authority are you doing these things? Surely you must have a reason. Who gave you this authority? Teach us so we can learn and understand. Is that their attitude? No, no, no. Their attitude is like your attitude. Someone like, hey, get your hands off my car. That's my car. Not that you're like that, right? But you might be when you're not down at the church, right? It's my car. What are you doing on my lawn? Get off my lawn. Clean up after you. I don't want, that's not going on my front lawn. You know, that, what, what, who do you think you are? That's the tone, isn't it? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. I love this. They got two questions. Jesus got one question. I will ask you one question. Answer me. And... I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So in other words, you got two questions? Well, I got one question for you. You answer my question, I'll answer your questions. Okay? You got anybody in your life who's like that? They answer your questions with a question? Right? Maybe your mother or your father, a grandparent, something like that. Don't you just love that? Jesus was right into that. That's what he does here. He says, I'll answer your question, but first you answer mine. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Ding, 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 ding. Now you read this and at first blush, I mean, I gotta be honest, it strikes to me as a kind of a strange question. Like, it's not where I'm thinking he's gonna go. You might think like, you know, like he would just make an emphatic statement about who he really is. That he would remind them about the voice from heaven at his baptism, declaring who he was. It's not how he handles it. He's asked them, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Well, who's John and what's his baptism? Well, he's talking about John the Baptist. The Baptist isn't his last name. It's just a description of what he did, his ministry. He baptized. But more than that, he was a preacher, a preacher of truth. And his job, his assignment from God was to introduce Jesus to Israel. It was, his job was to be a forerunner of Jesus. And in doing that, he not only declared to the people who Jesus was, but he also called the people to repent, to repent of their sins and turn to God, to, to lay aside their hard-heartedness and to humble themselves before God. John was recognized widely as a true prophet of God. And the people flocked to hear him preach. And many, many, many people were baptized as a symbol of their repentance under John's baptism. This is who Jesus is talking about. And this is what he's talking about. Not talking about just about the baptizing that John did, but about the ministry of John. When he talks about the baptism of John, he's talking about John's preaching, his, his ministry of baptizing, his whole ministry and what he declared and proclaimed. And you notice he's asking them about John's authority. Was the baptism of John from heaven? In other words, was it from God? 
or was it from man? Like, was this something that John just decided that I'm going to do? I need to find a way to make my way in this world, so this is what I'm going to do? Did some people put him up to it and say, hey, you should go out there and see if this works out? Or, or was this an assignment from God? Like, was he speaking with God's authority? Now, here's the beauty of this. It puts the religious leaders in a serious dilemma. I think they did have their doubts about John and the true authority that, with which he, he spoke. But Jesus has got them here in a real bind. And you can see what the bind is in verse 31. And they discussed. Wouldn't you love to be able to fly on the wall for this little discussion? Well, you get to be, because Mark tells you what they said. As they, and they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe? But... If we say from, what shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people. For they all held, the people that is, the people all held that John really was a prophet. To see their dilemma? If we stand up and we say, okay, the people recognize John, as a, John the Baptist as a prophet, so we, we better concur and say it was from God. Then you know what Jesus is going to say? Well, then mind you believe him. John the Baptist looked at me and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist baptized me, Jesus would say. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. John, if we, re- if we had time this morning, we could read the early part of Mark. In the first, Mark chapter 1, John talks about Jesus as one whose sandal I'm not even worthy to deal with, to untie. John's ministry was proclaiming the greatness and the worthiness of Jesus and who he really was. So if we say that his, his ministry was from God, then Jesus will say, well, then why aren't you believing him? And we can't have that. But on the other hand, if we say that he's, it's from man, it's just a man-made thing, the people are going to go crazy because the people here concur that John was a prophet and they'll turn against us. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke quotes the religious leaders saying that the people will stone us. They'll throw rocks at us, and rocks hurt. So what are they going to do? Well, what do you do when you're backed into a corner and no answer is a good answer? Maybe do like somebody I know was telling me recently. I'm not recommending this as a parenting skill. It's just a strategy lots of us use sometimes in life. His daughter, his little toddler daughter, had caught him in, uh, in a, a little bit of a fib and uh, was demanding an answer. Isn't that something? When the little toddler uh, demands an answer from the, the fibbing parent. And what did the fibbing parent do? I'm not commending it. I'm just saying this is what happened. And don't, don't tell me you haven't ever done this in your life. Backed into a corner. What did he do? He'd, make, he'd pull out his phone like he had a message to attend. He was like, sorry, I got to go. And he walked away. <laughs> walked away. I'm not commending it. I'm just saying that's what he did. And we do that sometimes too. Change the subject. Exit the room. I think my mom's calling me. I think I'm having appendicitis. (laughs) Or you do like the religious leaders did. They They pled ignorance. See that in verse 33? So they wrestled all out. They're totally backed into a corner, verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, this is this is a moment in scripture where if you're like me, you read this, what we're about to read right now, and you go like, yes. That's so awesome. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you're not going to be honest with yourselves, I'm not playing games. That's what he's saying. 
What's the issue here? Well, the issue is the issue of authority. And Jesus is interesting here. Well, I mean, he put them on the spot. They either have to admit that they're wrong or be deemed wrong by the people, and they are very concerned with how they're seen. So to avoid being honest, they plead ignorance. Jesus confirms that he knows the game they're playing. His answer, in his answer, he says, he doesn't say, neither do I know. When they say, I don't know, he doesn't say, neither do I know. No, instead, when they say, we don't know, he says, neither will I tell you. Not engaging in your game. In fact, actually, honestly, he's already revealed to them the answer. It's clear. If John proclaimed the authority, even the deity of Christ, and his ministry was from God, then by what authority and who gave Jesus the authority to do these things? It's God. The question's been answered. But Jesus is not engaging in their games. He's not buying that they don't know, but he sees simply that they simply will not be honest with themselves nor about being shown the truth that Jesus is a person of authority. And that actually is the issue here in this text. Verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And now in the end here, we're again talking about authority. The issue is the authority of Jesus. The religious leaders will not accept the authority of Jesus. And I would say they're not alone in that. A lot of people trip over the authority of Christ. They don't mind hearing about the love of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, even the power of Jesus, but that he has supreme authority and all-pervasive authority that has application over my heart, over my mind, over my body, for many people is frankly unpalatable. And like the religious leaders, it at best makes them squirm, at worst makes them run. Beloved ones, if you and I would know Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, then here's this. We must recognize and know him as a person of full authority. Do you want to know Jesus? The real Jesus? Knowing Jesus involves understanding that he is a person of full authority. Not partial authority. Not territorial authority but all authority. He's got the right to speak and the right to act, but also the muscle to enforce and to hold accountable. He's got it all. This word authority in the Greek is exousa. I don't really give a lot of Greek because partly because I can't pronounce it right. And second of all, too, we got English Bibles. We don't need to know the Greek, but it's an interesting word, this word exousia, because uh, it speaks of this kind of, this right to do something, this, uh, the, the right to carry out an action, the right to speak. It speaks of a person's authority to declare and to be listened to. And Jesus has that authority and the power to carry it through. It reminds me of my, my previous life when I worked in uh, the arena from time to time. In the hockey arena, we would have some unruly patrons, often, often who had too much to drink and misbehaving. And it would get to a point after some warnings that they needed to be removed from the building. And so as staff, we would sometimes have the unpleasant assignment of going and uh, speaking to said individual and tell them that they need to, you, you, you don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here. 
And uh, you can imagine that there's sometimes people are compliant, but there are other times when they're not compliant. And uh, there's a certain amount of authority we had as arena staff, and there's a certain amount of resistance that we would meet with. And when the, our limited authority met with significant enough resistance, we would call on a bigger authority, namely the police. And the police, they had the exousia, the right to come in and enforce the rules and the law, but they also had the muscle to firmly and but persuasively lay hold of the arm and remove the person from the building. Now that is the authority that Jesus has. He's got the right to speak, but he also is able and will hold to account. Knowing Jesus involves understanding this about Jesus. You can try to ignore him, but he is not someone you can ignore. You can try to minimize what he says. You can brush it aside. You can put it off. You can dismiss it. But it will not be dismissed. And in the end, it will not be brushed aside. He's got full authority. And we see this throughout Scripture. Jesus taught with full authority. How about Matthew 28, verse 18? Get a load of this verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority. All authority in what realm? In heaven and on earth. So in, in every space and place that there is, physical and spiritual, Jesus says, I've got authority. That's a lot of authority. He taught with full authority. He also acted with full authority. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, it wouldn't take you long to read through the Gospel of Mark and look for the actual authority of Jesus exercised and demonstrated in so many different ways. He demonstrated his authority in... Oh, he demonstrated his authority over sickness, demonstrated his authority uh, over demons, demonstrated his authority even over the grave and raising the dead. Again and again and again, Mark demonstrates that Jesus was a person of full authority. And here, this is butting heads with people who will not have it. But we've got to understand it if we would know the real Jesus. He's a person of full authority. He taught with full authority. He acted with full authority. And in scripture, Jesus is declared to have full authority. Get a little of this verse. These verses in John chapter five. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for the father judges no one. So think about the end and ultimate accountability in the end. Judgment day. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Who's the Son? It's Jesus. So he, he's the judge. Like, how much authority is that? All authority. He goes on. And he has given him, that's Jesus, authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. You see, he's declared to have authority. How about another scripture text? This, one, this one's amazing. Philippians chapter 2. They're all amazing, but Philippians chapter two, right after Paul talked about the example that Jesus sets for us in dying on the cross, what a great act of humility. Now on this side of the cross, Paul says this about Jesus, about how God has treated his son. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that's everyone, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, that's the name that's above every name. 
it's the name that's above every name because I think Paul here is drawing on that name, that divine name from Scripture, Lord Adonai, in the Old Testament. And what he's showing us here is that God the Father has bestowed on Jesus his own name, the name of God. So how much authority is this? It's all authority. How about Ephesians chapter one? Notice this. Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. I love that phrase, far above. Right? I mean, there's like, it's not just above, like far above. So how much authority does he have? All authority. And notice, far above all rule. You name any kind of rule, whether it's in your school or in your workplace, in your home, in your country, in your world, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, even your name. Got authority over you, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What I'm trying to say to you is when we think about Jesus having full authority, knowing Jesus involves understanding that he is a person of full authority. He taught with full authority. He acted with full authority. He is declared to have full authority. It's not a foggy issue. These days uh, in my life, I'm taking more and more of an interest in basketball. I've never, excuse me, I've never been uh, just about choked there because I can't. The truth is I can't play a basketball. I, I can't, I, I'm not physically capable of dribbling a basketball. I, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, but it's, it's basically true. My kids can testify, it's, it's pretty pathetic. I get called for traveling all the time. Like, how is that a travel? I haven't moved, anyway. But which brings me to the, my illustration here, my point. As I'm getting to know basketball a little bit and uh, watching it a little bit more, I'm intrigued. Actually, no, I'm not intrigued. I'm totally confused by the rules. Because I, I don't know, what, what is a foul? What, what's a foul in basketball? And I asked somebody this. I asked Joel this, actually. He's here in the room today. I asked, I asked Joel about, about what, what's a, he's really good at basketball, knows lots about basketball. I asked, what's a foul? And he kind of laughed. He was like, oh, that's a great question. I'm like, what do you mean? And then, Brad, you're in the room too. And talk about a foul. It's like, well, it's always, that's always the thing. I'm like, it's always a question. Like, was it a foul? Was it not? And then you get watching the game. You see, like, nobody seems to know. Was that really a foul? And the players are always like, the coach is losing his mind on the sideline, like going down rock, in the ref's ear all the time. Like, what's up? Did he? Well, and then the replay, like, well, well, maybe sort of. Well, he did kind of reach in a little bit, and like, so what's what's a foul? What's not? It's it's a great question in basketball. When it comes to the authority of Jesus, it's not like fouling in basketball. It's crystal clear. Crystal clear. Not up for debate. You can debate it. But in the Bible, it's not debatable. He has full authority. I should add this. When you think about the full authority of Jesus, Jesus' full authority is also good and accompanied by mercy. It's amazing to me that the judge, the judge himself laid down his life to spare sinners from his judgment. Isn't that a beautiful paradox in scripture? So that even today, even right now, you have a standing offer from the judge of a full pardon that he secured for you himself when he died on the cross. You say, I'd like that pardon. You can have it when you trust him for it. You say, how do I, how do I trust him for it? Starts by recognizing you need it. Believing 
that in dying and rising from the dead, he secured it. And then ask him for it. Just like I'm talking to you, or even quietly in your mind, you say, Lord Jesus, I need that forgiveness. He has full authority. And in his full authority, he is good. And it's accompanied by mercy. It's a marvel that he exercises, he exercised his authority to make a way for us to find safety from judgment. Jesus laid down his own life of his own will, of his own volition, so that we can be forgiven. And today, even right now, he exercises his authority to call you from death to life. Whosoever will may come. Will you come? Come to him. Whoever will lay down the rebellion and accept his terms of peace, your forgiveness will be ratified by the shed blood of Jesus. He's a person of full authority. It's crystal clear. Taught with full authority, acted with full authority, is declared to have full authority, and wonderfully, that full authority is good and accompanied by mercy. Jesus is a person of full authority. Which leads me to another question. How do you respond personally to his authority? How do you respond to his authority? Like, where are you at with it? Some people wrestle with it. They wrestle with his authority. Like, they encounter the authority of Jesus, and if they're honest, they will admit they struggle with it. Lots of people will admit they especially struggle with it in certain areas of their lives, certain facets of their life, maybe their money or their love life or their leisure or their attitude, attitude toward people. Jesus has spoken to these things. Many of these things he's spoken frequently to them. And some of us wrestle with the authority of Jesus in its place in our lives. If you wrestle with the authority of Jesus, I, I should tell you that you're, you're in pretty good company. As believers, as children of God, we come from a long line of people who've wrestled with God's authority. I was thinking about Jacob in the Old Testament, in Genesis 32. He wrestled with the Lord. Many scholars would believe that he wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ. We're not gonna plunge the depths of that today, but I think about Jacob wrestling with God, and I wonder, is that a picture of your walk with God? Is it a bit of a wrestling match? His will versus yours. If you wrestle with the authority of Jesus, you, you come by it honestly. We live in a culture that is suspicious of authority. We live in a place in the world that believes firmly in personal autonomy. We hear all the time in different ways and in different contexts that we have a right to choose for ourselves. <laughs> What's more, some of the things Jesus calls us to are easier quoted than done. Like, pray for those who persecute you. Do you joyfully, gladfully skip to the loo into your prayer room to pray for the people who are mocking you, maligning you, belittling you in your workplace, in your family? It's a tough call, isn't it? Tough calling to do that. To forgive. To forgive is a form of suffering. 
that Jesus calls us to? How about to turn the other cheek? Oh, yeah, it's all well and good. We can quote Jesus about turning the other cheek and say amen. But somebody cuts you off on the highway or you make one minor stupid move at the wheel of your car and you're greeted with a 19-second long blaring of the horn. Yeah, I get it, buddy. I get it. And then talk about turn the other cheek. Easier quoted, I find, than done. Do you wrestle with the authority of Jesus? Some wrestle with it. Some reject it. They will not submit to him. They will not come under him. They're not listening. Our mind is made up. Sometimes our mind is made up in the name of open-mindedness. And it will not come under this Christ. I'll give you a couple of quotes that I I should have put them on the screen for you, my bad, but please listen carefully because to me they're very helpful in understanding the issue at hand. The first is from William Hendrickson, a great dead Bible commentator. He said this about this text. He said, an important practical lesson is taught here. Christ's opponents fail to see the truth because they harden themselves against it. The reason why so many people know so little about Jesus and the joy of living the Christian life is that they refuse to submit themselves to his will. It's just, he's dead on. They don't know him because they won't know him. One other commentator, I believe is still living, James Edwards, said this about this text, about the, these religious leaders. They certainly have some suspicions about who Jesus is, and they might learn more if they enter into honest dialogue with him. In reality, though, they are unwilling to know. Listen, those who cannot be honest with themselves cannot be honest about Jesus. That, that, yes, that is so true. Those who cannot be honest with themselves cannot be honest about Jesus. Are you today being honest with yourself? Like, you being honest if you reject it? Are you being honest with the fact that you are rejecting it? Like, I'm, I'm predisposed to not listening to this. Are you willing to know the real Jesus? He may indeed clash with your will, your way of thinking, your pattern of living. Some reject it. Some wrestle with it, some reject it. But when it comes to the authority of Jesus, also some rejoice in it. Some rejoice in it. The followers of Jesus Christ love his authority. We may indeed, in certain areas and seasons, wrestle with his authority. But when we know him, he, by his grace, keeps bringing us back to a place of rejoicing in, being glad in his kind, gracious, mighty rule over our lives. Because his word is strong to save, and he's trustworthy and good. And we know it, and we want him leading our lives. How do you respond to the authority of Jesus? Do you wrestle with it? Do you reject it? Do you rejoice in it? If you wrestle, if you are wrestling with the authority of Jesus, I got some questions for you. You ready? As I bring this to a close, I'm thinking of those who are wrestling with the authority of Jesus. Let me ask you this, and I... I'm asking you questions I want you to personally answer. I'm going to challenge you to answer these questions for real. 
if you wrestle with his authority, let me ask you, what holds you back? Like, what's the deal? What, is there something that you believe that you will gain that will be better and more satisfying when you go your way, more satisfying and better than what Jesus will give you if you go his way? Like, is, is there something that you think, well, this will turn out better? Seriously, I, I'm not trying to be all pastorally coy. I'm honestly asking you. What is it, what is it you think you're going to get that's going to be better? What is it? Is there something you don't understand? But like, maybe you're just like, I would wrestle so much if I understood what? Is there something that you don't grasp? Maybe. What is it that hinders you? Name it. Honestly. Name it. What is it? If you are wrestling, name it. If you're rejecting his authority, if you're rejecting his authority, I would just point out, for what it's worth, Please don't be offended, but I would point out that if you are rejecting his authority, I find it personally, I find it remarkable that you're here. And pretty remarkable if you're rejecting his authority that you're watching online. I would just appeal to you. My simple appeal to you is to reconsider your position. I would plead with you to at least reconsider your position. I don't believe in accidents per se. I mean, I do believe in accidents, right? We, we have accidents. But what I mean is, is that I, I, I believe that things happen for a reason. I just wonder if, and along the lines of thinking about things happening for a reason, if it's, if it's possible. Is it possible? Then that the kindness of God, he would bring you here to a place like this so that I could ask you this question. Will you reconsider your position? I'm not saying, you say, well, yeah, of course you'd say that. No, I'm just saying, is it possible? Is it possible? If you're rejecting his authority, can I ask you seriously and humbly, what if you are wrong? Is it, is it possible that you're wrong? You say, well, it is possible, but I don't think I am. Fair enough but I would at least plead with you to reconsider your position. Thirdly, finally, to those who are rejoicing in his authority, I want to encourage you and encourage us as a church to today to reaffirm our glad submission to the authority of Jesus as a church and as believers. And in gladly affirming our submission to his authority, we're also submitting to his authority in particular areas of our lives. As I preach today, maybe the Lord is highlighting for you, even if I haven't even said it, highlighting for you an area that he has spoken to in your life. And today he wants you to yield to him. As you rejoice in him, rejoice in his kindness, in his wisdom, in the greatness of his authority and submit that to him and affirm again you're rejoicing in his authority. And collectively as a church, and I'll end with this, the authority of Jesus ought to, as we affirm the authority of Jesus, it ought to move us to act boldly, act boldly in mission together in response to his authority. The mission statement for our church is this, that we exist to glorify God 
through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Now, here's, I'm done after I say this. Here is what landed on me this morning before I came to church. So this morning, I'm getting ready to have my coffee like lots of you were, and I was thinking about going over there. And this is what landed on me. Our very mission statement, the great commission and the great commandment, are by definition from the authority of Jesus. It is, he has authoritatively, authoritatively commissioned us to mission, the Great Commission. And he's authoritatively commissioned us to do it in love, love for God and love for people. We exist as a church by our own confession and declaration. We're going to have it on the wall eventually. We, we have as our mission statement, we exist to live and serve and strive together under the authority of Jesus. So it seems fitting to me that we would together right now as a church reaffirm our commitment to his authority. Let's pray.